The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. I was talking with Pastor Jason this week and thinking about tonight. I wanted to uh, kind of flow with his message. I think that's important to do. I'm not a big fan of standalone messages. So uh, today he was in the Great Commission in Matthew, the last chapter of Matthew, the last four verses uh, of Matthew. And one of the things that he really uh, keyed in on, and I was glad he keyed in on this, was the section, all authority has been given to me. Jesus saying that. All authority has been given to me. And the importance of that. And he, and he talked about the fact that because of that, we need not fear. We don't need to fear because the one who has us in the palm of his hands has all authority. Even over the person that you're talking with who you're sharing the gospel with. And so there's, there's no need for us to, to fret. As he was telling me that that was going to be a, a big part of his message, I was, I was thinking even about myself. And if we're honest, even in hearing that this morning, while it's comforting to hear and it's good to hear and it's a truth that we need to hold on to, we, we all, I think, would say that fear still exists. That in our heart as we share the gospel with someone or even As you think about sharing the gospel with somebody, it makes you sweat. You get a little clammy and you start to worry. And there's, there's many reasons for this. Some are normal reasons. I think some are exaggerated reasons, just things that we put on ourselves. There is some places in scripture, and this is where I want to take us to tonight, that speaks of fear that we should have when witnessing. And in saying that, I'm not contradicting what Pastor Jason said this morning at all. It's not a contradiction because what he said was true. God is sovereign. He's over all things and he does, and Christ does have authority. And so thus, there should not be a fear of what will happen. There shouldn't be a fear of what might take place, even if the world were to kill us for our our evangelistic message. That's okay because Christ has all authority even over death. And so in death, I will have victory because of him. Uh, And while the world may try to hurt me and harm me again, they can do that. But Christ has the final say. And so I'm not contradicting what he said this morning. I just want to bring us to a couple things that Paul says to the church of Corinth because there's multiple places where he speaks of fear when it comes to sharing the gospel or when it really just comes to uh, living out our faith. And I want us to look at uh, these two places. So uh, first in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God." I want you now to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. 
It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is, it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to, bo- to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, I might say compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The way, the way I want to approach this tonight might be a little bit different, but I want to look at some points, and all these points fall in this general category. When it comes to us evangelizing, these are things that we know when we are evangelizing. These first, I don't know how many points, I don't even know if I'll get through them all tonight. Things that, that we know, not, not things that we say. We're going to get to that. We're going to look at things we know and things we say. I hope you're not somebody who spews out everything you know to people. They don't like you if you do that. I just want you to know that. There are things that you know, but you don't say. You know you need to breathe. You don't sit there and tell everybody to breathe all the time. You do it. You just do it. And as Christians, there are some things that we must know when it comes to evangelism. And then there are some things that we must say. And so I want to first tackle the things that we must know. And we see this in, this in these passages. The first we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, where Paul says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. One of the things that we must know and have is a healthy fear of the Lord. That is necessary if we are going to be evangelistic like we should be. And you say, well, again, this morning you, we talked about we don't have a fear. Well, again, the fear that we don't have is a judgment of God. A fear that we do not have is I'm going to go and do these things for the Lord and what happens falls on my shoulders. No, I don't, I don't have that fear because that's God's work. God calls me to be obedient to him and how people respond is not on me. It is, it is the Lord's work that needs to happen there in their life. And so the fear that's being talked about here, though, is, number one, a fear, a healthy fear, understanding that when we evangelize, when we are speaking the gospel to somebody, we are teaching. That's what we're doing. 
And we are, we are handling the word of God. And in James chapter three, verse one, it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There is a strictness that comes with handling the word of God. There is a, there is a responsibility that comes in that. And it's not just to those who stand in the pulpit or those who sit in a classroom and, and teach people. I believe it's also for us as we go about and we share the gospel with others. We, we need to be faithful. You know, Pastor Jason even said this morning, right? He said, there are times when I have shared the gospel, I've probably said something unbiblical. And he said, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. And, and what he meant by that wasn't, that doesn't matter, so just go say whatever you want and God will work it out. That's not what he meant there. He, w- he was saying, uh, even in my mess ups, God can still do things. That was his, that was his point in saying that. But we must understand that as we handle the word of God, there should be a healthy fear behind that of, I want to do this well. I want to do this right. I want to handle this how I should. And so as we teach, if you're somebody who teaches, as we preach, if you're somebody who preaches, or as we go and evangelize, I think this needs to be a fear that is in our mind in a healthy way. A fear that drives us to know God's word well. You know, one of our excuses, one of our greatest excuses for not being evangelistic is not knowing God's word. That's what people will say. I'm afraid I'm going to get asked a question. I don't know. I'm afraid of this or that. Did you know there's a solution to that? Read his word. Know his word. It's not hidden. There's so many books out there that help studying God's word. There's a lot of people out there who would love to maybe even help you study God's word. That is not a good excuse at all whatsoever. And so we do need to have this healthy fear of having facing judgment for our teaching. But again, that fear doesn't restrict us. That fear is a good fear because it drives us to his word to know it better so that we can share it with people and let them know the truth. Not not so that we can... Know it to the extent to say, oh, gotcha, right? Look at this verse. Not not for those moments, but for those moments when somebody is struggling and they are hurting desperately. And that is when you can go to them and say, look, this applies to you now. God loves you in this. Even though you're running from him, God still is chasing you down. God still loves you. Look at it in his word. Look Look at how he sent his son to redeem you. We need to have those readily available because we live in a world that is desperately hurting. The other healthy fear, I think, is fear of what the listener does with it. And now I don't, again, mean that it falls on my shoulders, but this is, this is what I mean. When we share the gospel with somebody, the reason we do that, I hope, is because we believe we have the most important information in the world that they need to hear. And so we do have a fear of how are they going to respond, right? Because there's no greater thing that can happen in their life. If we walk before them and we, we share with them the gospel and you ask them the question, do you want to obey? Do you want to follow the Lord? Do you want to trust in him? Do you feel he's, he's drawing you to himself? Do you feel that at this moment? It should be within our heart, just almost this begging inside of please say yes, There's nothing more important here. If I were to come to you and and grab your hand and say, 
will you please go with me to this football game? You might say, you didn't have to do it that way, man. You should have just called me or sent me a text and I would have said yes. Right, we don't, we don't do that. But, but with this, this is so important. Please, will you please accept this? And again, it's not on my shoulders, but picture what Paul is, is talking about here with this, with this fear and with this trembling. Picture, picture Paul in, in the pulpit or Paul standing and teaching this group of people and he has such anguish in his heart and his, his body is almost trembling as he's teaching because of the importance of it. I want you to see how important this is. You need to trust in this. This needs to be your life. Please do that. And so it's that type of fear of everybody just saying, saying no. So I'm not thinking, man, they don't like me or it's not because I said it this way. It's just a heartbreak because they still are rebelling against God. They're still choosing to not submit to him. And so there's this fear that's there that is, again, it's a healthy fear because we know the Lord does that work, not us. The other thing that we need to know, not just having a healthy fear, but that the only thing that we can trust in as we share the gospel is God's word. That is what we have. And that is what we have only. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, as Paul would talk. He says, for I determined in verse 2, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right? I, in verse, go, skip down to verse 4. In my speech and my preaching, we're not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Too often, I think this is where we start to lose focus. We, we feel we must trust in other things in our evangelistic efforts as we share the gospel with people. Well, I, I really need to be good buddy, buddy friends with them first. And then the gospel can have an effect. Then the gospel can take root in their life if I'm friends with them first. Now, I'm a big advocate of being relational with somebody and sharing the gospel. I'm not a huge fan of knocking door to door and, have you heard of Jesus and then doing it that way? I just don't think that's a, the best way. I don't think that's the most effective way. I think God uses it sometimes. But I am, I am an advocate of uh, relational evangelism. But God doesn't need that. God's word doesn't need that doesn't need Tim to be friendly with everybody for it to work. The power is in his word, right? Again, rhetoric is very good. Visual aids, very good. Comfort as you sit in a pew that's padded. Again, a good thing. Having diagrams, having charts, having a church marketing strategy, again, could be a good thing and are good things and things that you should think about. But we got to remember this. It is not the thing. It's not the thing. It's not what's going to do it. As we even look forward to Easter already and you think about how can I get as many butts in these pews as possible for Easter to hear the gospel message. As that goes through my mind, even at this moment, what I know is this. We can fill this place. But if we don't stick to God's word, it doesn't mean anything anyways. It doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't mean anything. And so we have to stick to the word of God and that alone. One of the biggest questions I've had since I've been pastor here, and I, this is a good group to address this with because I trust all of you, is the altar call. 
I've had some people come to me about that, about the altar call. And they'll say, you don't do an altar call. I say, well, you're, you're wrong. I, I do it every week, actually. Every week after I get done preaching, I say, now is the time to respond to God's word. We're going to sing a song together. And it's time for you to, re, to respond to how, what God has laid on your heart, what he has showed you. That, that's an altar call. I mean, that, that's what that is. It's a response time. But now what I don't do is I don't walk back and forth on this stage and try to manipulate. I don't walk back and forth on this stage and try to pull heartstrings or try to think of stories or try to get people to cry. You're never going to hear me say, we're not leaving until somebody comes forward. That's not going to come out of my mouth. Because to me, that's Tim's manipulation. That's me trying to go above and beyond God's word. It's me thinking I can't trust in God's word to do it. I'll give it a little nudge. And so I hear phrases like, man, you had them. You set the atmosphere so good you had them, but you just, you just missed to swoop them in. My response to that is simple. If I had them, I don't want them. I need God to get them. I need God to grab a hold of them because that's the only thing that's going to work. That's the only thing that's going to take place or that's going to take place in their life and actually change their life, not me. Because, oh, they might like me right now, but give it a couple months and they probably won't and then they'll leave, right? And so I have to trust in God's word. Too often we see in churches boasting and what they're boasting in, I, I feel, is not the Lord, but they're boasting and what they have done for the Lord. They label it as boasting for the Lord, but I really don't think what that's what that is. Now, I can't judge their intentions, and I probably shouldn't judge their intentions. Instead, I should praise God for what's taking place at times, and I will admit that. But I do think we need to look at our intentions and decide when it comes to those things, right? Sunday school teacher, our class had 25 today. Well, why did you tell me that? Really, why, why did you tell me that? Are you boasting in, I just want to boast in the Lord that he brought 25 to Sunday school this morning. Are, are you boasting in the Lord or are you boasting in your Sunday school class? Right? I, I don't know, but you know. You know the intentions of your heart. And again, you need to decide. But our boast is in the Lord. I mean, that's what Paul said, right? I came to you, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is, that is it. I had nothing else to boast in. In fact, Paul would say, I was actually weak. I stood up there scared to death and you saw my knees shaking. That, that's me. All I had to give you was Christ and that's all that I can boast in. The question then that I had as I'm going through this in my mind is how does this then relate to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul uses the word persuade, right? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. I just said it's not my job to persuade, right? Didn't I? I mean, I, I kind of said that. It's not my job to stand here and try to reel people in and try to, try to get them up there or up here. I think, this is, I think there's a difference there, though, in this word persuade. I don't think persuade here is a manipulation. I don't think persuade is even using apologetics or something like that. I think what Paul is talking about, if you read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, Paul knows the fear of the Lord. 
He has the fear of the Lord in his heart. And because of that, the only thing he can think to do all the time, every day, is to do his best to call upon others to trust in the Lord, to point them to Christ. That is, that is it's just this sense of urgency in his life. If Jesus is real, if this is all true, then this is the only thing that I can be doing. I have to be diligent to tell others about the good news of the gospel. And I want to do it well. I want to do it well. So I think it's important we go back to that. I want to share the gospel well. I don't want to be any sort of hindrance. And you say, well, Pastor Tim, you said even if I mess up, God can use it. Yes, but that doesn't stop me from trying to do it well, right? I want to know God's word well. I want to practice. I want to have the right intentions. I, I want to have the right motives. I want to still do it well. Why? Because I want to honor Lord in everything I say and everything that I do. Our goal is to talk with people about the gospel. That is, we want to persuade them with the gospel and then let God deal with the results just like he does with everything else. Here it is. Here's my plea, right? Here's my call. Christ crucified. What will you do with it? That's my persuasion. And I have to do it to everybody. I'm trying to persuade them. Christ crucified. What will you do with it? And then I trust in God and I seek his face in prayer, asking him to open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. So what we know, we have a healthy fear. We trust in God's word alone. We also understand whose we are. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, it says, for the love of Christ controls us. Your version might say compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And that's, that's a pretty countercultural statement, I think, even within the church. To use the words, I want you to know today, brothers and sisters, that Christ controls you. Does that not uh, make you feel a little queasy? If you're honest, uh, controls me? I mean, that, that makes me feel kind of uncomfortable, right? In today's day and age, nobody controls anybody. I mean, we, you even have to tiptoe around marriage and man and women's roles today, and you start talking about some different things about being submissive to each other. That's a bad word, let alone control. But something that we have to remember as Christians, something that I think we need to understand if we're going to be effective in evangelism, is that we do not control ourselves. Christ controls us. We've given our life to him. He's paid the price for it. And we completely belong to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple? of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It is impossible to be a Christian and not be controlled by Christ. You have to be, because that's what he's bought, is he's bought your life with his. When we know this, we will do our best to do what his word says, because it's not about us anymore. It's not about Tim anymore. It's about Jesus, because I'm not my own. 
It's about him. And if he wants me to go here, I'm going to go here. If he wants me to stay where I'm at, I'm going to stay where I'm at. Or if he wants me to have a new job, I'll have a new job. Right? We all these facets of life, I trust in him and all of these things. And no matter what I'm doing, I'm trying to follow his word. I'm trying to glorify him every single step of the way. The next thing, fourth thing that we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, it says that we're going to begin to we see the world differently. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we, we regard him thus no longer. When we become a Christian, when we become saved by the grace of God, we now see the world differently, right? We don't see the world the way the world sees itself. And really, this is a game changer for us. It really should be in our life. The worldly influence on people is not our concern. I'd want you to hear that. Okay? The worldly influence on people is not our concern. Our concern is their spiritual state. That's our concern. And that is what we see. That should be what we see. I think that's why Jesus would say a statement in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, that just really floors us. Besides, I say to you, he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The only way you can do that is if you're not seeing them in a worldly state. Because of the worldly state, is that enemy wants to kill me or that enemy wants to destroy me or he wants me to lose my job or whatever the case might be, those are all worldly. He's not going to take my soul. He can't. But when I look at him and maybe he's not a Christian, I know his spiritual state is off. And so that's why I pray for him. I'm not worried that he hates me. I'm worried that he's rebelling against God. And I wish he wouldn't. I wish he'd know God. That's seeing the world different. That's why it becomes a game changer. We can do this. We can get past our differences because why? Because it's not about us. That's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ. The church, the local church is you can walk in here ugly and I can walk in here looking good and we get along because we're different. You can walk in here with this sin. I walk in here with this sin and we know we're all just saved by the grace of God. I, I can walk in here rich. You can walk in here poor. I can walk in here with this thought about this particular thing. I think Ford is the best. You think, you think Chevy's the best? But yet when we come in here, the worldly stuff, <laughs> that don't matter. That, that's, that's why we sing songs about God's grace. That's why we sing songs about Jesus and who he is. That, that's why we preach from his word, because that is what it's about. It's not about those external things. Just this week, uh, when we went to Disciple Now, uh, I just kind of tagged along. I, I didn't have any tasks to do, and so I actually asked Pastor Spencer to come. I said, hey, why don't you come, and what we'll do is we'll plan the preaching calendar for the year. We'll try to do that. We'll try to get verses down. We'll try to get series down. And, and one of the first things we asked, you know, it's like, well, what's going on this year? Do you guys, do you guys know what's going on this year? Do you guys know of a big thing going on this year? We, we have a presidential election. And so that drove a lot of our prayer, that drove a lot of our thinking. As we said, well, what will the church be experiencing as we go through this presidential election? And I can tell you not one good word came up as we talked about it. We were like, well, there'll be anger. There'll be hurt. 
There'll be a lot of worry, anxiousness, there'll be some strife. I mean, those are the words that came up and it was like, well, what can we do? Where, where can we go so that, so that the church will see that that's not who we are, that we are the church of, of Jesus Christ, not of America, not of this world, but of Jesus Christ. See, we can get past those things because we don't see the world that way anymore. We see it how God sees it. And because of that, we're driven with compassion to do all that we can to let them know where they stand before the Lord and to let them know what God has done for them through Christ. The other thing we know clock's not on up there. Apologize. The other thing we know is we understand what Christ has done for us. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I want you to think for a moment with me, if you would, about your life before Christ. For some of you, this is hard because you were like six Maybe for some of you, it wasn't too long ago, but really, I want you to think of your life before Christ. And I want you to feel how comfortable that might be for you. I would hope for us as Christians, as we think about our past, it's really embarrassing. It's very uncomforting to think about our attitudes, our, our actions, our motives, the way we handled things, the way we handled people. When we think about that sin, it should really make us uncomfortable. But the good news of the gospel, right, that we just read is, is this. We're made new. The past has no hold on me anymore. The old is gone and the new has come. And so while I think about it and maybe get embarrassed about it and can even be drove maybe into like a depression state of, oh my gosh, or whatever, that's not who God sees anymore. He, he sees Christ. And you say, but Pastor Tim, that, that sin that I'm embarrassed about just happened this afternoon. Listen, if you're a child of God, he sees Christ. Yes, you need to seek forgiveness. Yes, you should go to him. You should repent. And yes, you should try to deal with those sins. But listen, you are not held to those sins anymore. Christ died for those sins. And so as we go to be evangelists in our community, in our families, understanding this good news that listen, I can't be weighed down by my past anymore because no doubt as you go to people, they will know what you were and they might even throw it in your face or they might even know what you are. I see you steal a Snickers every day at work. Every day you steal, steal a Snickers and you're trying to tell me I'm a sinner, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But listen, that shouldn't stop you. Oh, you need to deal with that sin. You owe your company some money. But... That doesn't change who you are in Christ. It doesn't change that the old is past and that the new has come. And so when God the Father looks on us, he sees Jesus. And this amazing truth is what we have to hold on to. And knowing this, again, should propel us to evangelize. We want them to experience that as well. We want them to know that. We want them to understand that you don't have to be held down by your sin any longer. The chains can be gone. You can be set free. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. We see our next thing. 
All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only do we know that Christ has made us a new creation and that the old is gone, but we understand what that process looks like and what that meant, that we have been reconciled, that our sin separated us from God. In fact, scripture says we were enemies of God. We were destined for wrath, to face God's wrath. Yet in the midst of that, for some reason, God would send his son. Why? So that we could be reconciled to him. Therefore, we owe him everything, correct? Nothing will keep us from him. Nothing will ever separate us from him ever again because he holds our salvation in his hand. I don't hold my salvation. He holds my salvation in his hand, in Christ. So I understand my position before God. One of the hardest things, I've said this before, like in the workplace, if you don't know your job description, if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, that's a, that's a tough place to be in. You're just like, I just want to know what I'm supposed to be doing. When we know who we are before God, we know what he's done for us. It really changes our attitude. It really changes our actions. I'm trying to go quicker. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 is the last thing I think we need to know. It says, therefore, <clears throat> we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. <clears throat> we understand, again, this isn't something we have to go sharing, it's not something we have to go speaking, but we understand this, we are on his mission. That's what we are. We are ambassadors for Christ. I think you know what that means. We have ambassadors in our nation they live over there on foreign soil, but that little gated area that their little compound is on is technically U.S. soil, right? They, they are there for us to speak on U.S. behalf in a foreign area to, to deal there. And so if all of a sudden they start getting into the culture of wherever they are and they, their best interest isn't U.S. best interest, that's a problem. They're no longer ambassadors, or at least they shouldn't be, because they are there for us. When God saves us by his grace, we are ambassadors for Christ here. This is not our home. This is not our land. This, is, this isn't us. We are his. Our home is with him. He has us here to be on mission for him. And so that has to be our focus each and every day, to live on mission for our king. And we proudly and courageously will serve him. We proudly and courageously will keep his commands even in a foreign land that pushes against those regulations, right? That, that pushes against the laws and the, the, the virtues that we know to be true in God's word, even though they push against it. No, but I'm not from here. Yeah, but we're going to throw you in jail. That's okay. I'm not from here. I'll still be my father's there. So quickly, if these are the things we know, then what do we say? I got three minutes. What do we say? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. I think this is important. Paul says this here to this church. He says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. One of the things that we must say when we are sharing the gospel is, you need to be reconciled to God. And we need to explain that. They need to know. You are a sinner. You are separated from God. 
but God has made a way for you to be restored to him. That needs to be said. Salvation is not, hey, listen, if you would just trust in Christ, your life will be better, believe me. Do you want to trust in Christ? Well, absolutely. And I'll trust in Buddha. And I'll go and trust over here too, because I better, I as well just put my eggs in all the baskets, right? I'll just have it all covered and then I'm good. No, 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 that's, that's not our message. Our message is this. God has made only one way for you to be reconciled to him, and that is through Jesus Christ, by seeking him for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be saved from the wrath of God. That is it. You need to be reconciled to him. That must be a part of our gospel presentation. Now, you don't need to, work, need to use the word reconciliation, right? But you can explain it. That's what I'm saying. That has to be understood. That, that's what Paul is saying here to this church. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation and we must speak of this to those that we speak to. The second thing we say, and I believe this is the last thing, is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I labeled this the hook. This is the hook. This is, this is the moment, right? You, you got the atmosphere, you got what you want. This is, I think, how you reel them in. I, I think this is what you do as you say what Paul would say here. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to think about what that means for you as a Christian. I hope it means everything. And if you look somebody in the eye and with all sincerity and with all love and with all care for them, you tell them this, you say, I want you to know that for your sake, he made his son to be sin to go to that cross. The one who knew no sin, he made him sin. Why? So that you can become the righteousness of God. If they look at you and they turn from that, you have nothing better. You have nothing better to offer them. You say, well, I can get you a coffee and maybe we can talk more. Listen, you have nothing else to offer them. You'll just be telling that to them again and again and again. And listen, you might need to. I'm not saying you just do it once and they say no. You say, well, you're lost. See ya. No. Your love for them is going to continue to drive, continue to want to say, listen, be reconciled to God. God has made a way for you to have his righteousness, your sin completely forgiven. Don't you want that? You need that. That's our hook. That's what we have. This is our crescendo. It's the best thing we have to offer. And in fact, I would say this, the world has nothing better to offer. Oh, they might go dabble in the things of the world and they might say no to run to the things of the world, but those things absolutely are not better. It's not better. And so we need not fancy it up because it's fancy enough. It's beautiful enough. It doesn't have to be any better. Jesus Christ died for you for, for at just the right time in the midst of your sin. Will you accept this great grace, this great gift? And then they need to respond. And you say, well, what do I do? How do I, how do I get them to respond? Or what do I say? Well, I think sometimes you just simply ask, do you want that in your life? You can have that even now today. I say that to you tonight. Do you want that in your life? 
You say, I don't know if I've been reconciled to God. You know, you, you can be today. If you feel God pulling you towards that, right now you could do that. Say, I accept Christ into my life. I believe in that wholeheartedly. Believe in him for the forgiveness of my sins and there's nothing else in this world that can save me but Christ. And I want that. The Bible says when we confess that, we will be saved. That's what it says. That easy. And I hope that you'll do that. I hope you've trusted in that. And I hope that we will be a church that offers that. Not just at the end of a service, but at work, at home, at school, at McDonald's, for those of you who go every day and get your coffee, at Meyer, or wherever it is you go, whatever it is you do, to be ambassadors for Christ, sharing the gospel because of what we know and because we've been told what to say. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you continue to work. God, I pray that you would continue to do that. God, help us as a church, help us as individuals to boast in you only. God, that's something I worry about all the time. Balancing that to where we share the good news of what's happening as encouragement and not letting it slip into boasting about how good of leaders we have or how awesome our church is or those things. God, you know my heart in that. God, I want to boast in you and only in you. And so, God, I pray that you would work and I, make, I pray that you would make it about you, that people would see that, that it would just be so evident. And God, I pray that you would work in the lives of families and friends who are represented here. God, we do have people on our hearts and God, I pray that we would be in prayer about them. I pray that you would give us opportunities to share the gospel, the good news, and God, I pray that we would do it in such a loving way. God, I pray that we would do it honestly and truthfully. But God, I pray that they would see the sincerity in our hearts. And God, again, we know we cannot force them to make a decision, but God, we pray that you would open their eyes to that truth, that you would save their souls so that they would glorify you, magnify you. God, we trust that you'll do that. We know that you have a desire to do that. And so we're just thankful again that we get to be a part of that work. So continue to give us boldness. Continue to make us courageous like the first century church as they would pray for boldness in the face of being slaughtered even. God, make us bold. Help us to overcome ourselves so that we can love people how we should, especially knowing what's coming in 2020. Help us to see the world how you see it and to understand that you are in complete control at all times. And help us to be on mission for you, ambassadors for you on foreign soil. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your word and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.